Okay, that's out there. Uh, let, I'm gonna make a video this week and we'll release it on social media with more information, but just let me quickly say, this is a conversation, actually I was probably about 35 and I started thinking about retirement, um, <clears throat> as you can relate. Uh, no, Todd and I actually started talking about what's this going to look like before, before COVID hit. We started talking, what's this going to look like? And then COVID hit and it was like, it was off the table. There was too much else to do. And so it's been a conversation, uh, not a conversation, it's been a prayer, it's been a thought, it's been a process for a long, long time. Um, I know, why Wisconsin? You've got to be asking that. Uh, our daughter and son-in-law, who live in Portland area, are driving out this Wednesday to move to Wisconsin. Uh, they have uh, dear friends that live there that have moved there. Portland is no longer sustainable. They both lost work during COVID. Uh, and so uh, that's a better place to, to be established. We looked at a lot of different places. And, and so I went to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I'm, I, I know what the Midwest is like. We lived in Alaska. I know what winters in Wisconsin are going to be like. A lot easier than Alaska. Uh, I know what hot and humid is in August. Uh, we don't like it. But uh, Dawn was born in northern Indiana. I pastored in northern Indiana. Our daughter was born in northern Indiana. I went to seminary in northern Indiana. So there's a lot of history there too. So that's, that's kind of the quick version of that, and we'll, we'll, I'll say more this week in the video, but um, it's totally bittersweet. I love this church. I love you. I, I've loved being one of your pastors here. Um, it's been an amazing, amazing place to kind of close out this chapter of our lives. Uh, what we want to do is, a lot of you know that we've done a pastor's retreat ministry. We did a retreat for some of the pastors after the Paradise Fires. We want to start that back up and keep doing that. We have our own 501c3. We kept it alive all these years because we thought maybe someday we'd come back to it. So I'm not sure what it'll look like, but that's, that's the plan is to minister at least in that way. And I'm sure God will have lots of things for us to do. Uh, and people in Wisconsin need the Lord. Yeah, they're not all saved. So um, anyway, enough said. Let's preach. Let's get into the word. Uh, there, uh, we have three weeks left in this series, uh, Bear Fruit. We've been here for several weeks looking at John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Um, and for the next three weeks, the last three weeks of the series, we're going to be in chapter 17. This is this amazing prayer that Jesus prayed to his father in the upper room just before he would be taken out and betrayed and then crucified and eventually uh, conquer death and come back to life. Um, so turn to John 17, our text today is verses 1 through 5, we'll get to that in a minute, but let me set the stage. So John 17, 1 through 5, uh, most likely Jesus is still in the upper room with his disciples, they've shared the Passover meal, Jesus has given new meaning to the bread and the cup that came out of the Passover, uh, Judas has already left to initiate the betrayal, and now as Jesus brings this upper room time to a close, he prays. And when he finishes this prayer in John 17 that John recorded maybe decades later as an older man, he remembered it, the Holy Spirit brought it to him and he records this prayer. When, it, when it's done in, in John 18, we see that Jesus and disciples left the upper room and they went over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then Jesus spent more time in prayer while the disciples slept. Remember that story. 
Jesus knew that the hour of his betrayal and his death was at hand, and his soul was deeply troubled, and he spent his time in communion with his father. What, what, <laughs> nothing, could, couldn't be anything better to do than that. And so let me read our text, 17, 1 through 5, and then get into it. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God. And Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Now, we're going to talk about dancing today. That's a very odd thing for me to talk about in a sermon because I grew up Baptist. And Baptists don't dance. I never went to a school dance. I never went to a prom. Uh, in elementary school, my parents even wrote a note to ask me to be excused from square dancing. Yeah. Dancing was not part of my world at all. I remember the first wedding I performed where there was dancing. And I, was, I was fine with it, by the way. Uh, but I thought, wow, this is a church wedding and there's dancing. And what I noticed was how much fun people were having. The big smiles on their faces, the, the laughing. And I thought, wow, I think I've missed something here. Sometime later, Dawn and I took ballroom dancing lessons. Yes. That was a minor disaster. <laughs> and then I did more weddings where there was dancing and I began to appreciate the beauty and the fun that comes from dancing. I'm sure my Baptist roots saw dancing as some immoral, illicit thing that we didn't even want to touch. But that's not what I was seeing. That's not what I was witnessing. Dancing is a powerful expression, or it can be, of emotion. Sometimes moving and intense and sometimes just fun and playful. We'll come back to that. Shift back to the upper room with me. As Jesus spent this time teaching his disciples in his final hours before his death, he was teaching them about the nature of the Trinity, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he, he Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, needed to leave the earth so that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, could come and be with us every second of every day, helping us, uh, comforting us, uh, convicting us of sin. That's what we've been studying these past several weeks as we've looked at the Holy Spirit, as Jesus was teaching about the Holy Spirit to his disciples. Now, one of the things that Jesus taught the disciples and is teaching us is that in some wonderful sense, we as his followers are invited into the relationship that the Trinity shares that we have been included, we have been invited in into that shared intimacy that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit share, and, and we're, we're invited into that. We see this back in 1420, John 1420, uh, where it says, in, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he says, in that day, you disciples will know that I am in my Father, 
And you disciples, or us, are in me, and I am in you. And then in 1721, a little later in the same prayer that we'll look at, see, see next week, where, where, where Jesus says, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they, that's us, also may be in us. There's this intertwined union between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and us. It's a little mind-boggling. It's a little overwhelming to think that the triune God has invited us into that intimacy to share it with him. But I want us to explore this a little bit this morning. Back to dancing. Sorry if you're getting seasick back and forth here. I've never been to a Greek wedding, but there's an old Greek wedding dance called a perichoresis. Two Greek words meaning around and dance. Choreography comes from the second part of the word. And in this old wedding dance, there's at least three dancers, never two, always at least three, that start out dancing in circles, weaving in and out in this fluid pattern of motion. They go faster and faster and faster, always staying in perfect rhythm, totally synchronized, Eventually, they're moving so fast that they start to blur together, but they're still three or, or more individuals. Well, the early church fathers looked at that dance, that perichoresis, and they said, that's what the Trinity is like. Three separate individuals dancing in perfect rhythm, moving together in such a way that sometimes they blur, but they're still three separate individuals three separate persons. This dance of the Trinity, this dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this dance of one God in three persons is the dance of perfect love and perfect unity and perfect relationship. And, and that dance is what we are invited into. As followers of Jesus, we are invited into that perfect, harmonious dance of love and unity. A few weeks back, Christian talked about love and unity, love and unity, love and unity. That's what that dance is. That's so overwhelming. It doesn't even seem appropriate that the, that the triune God would invite us into the union, into the relationship that the three persons have, but it's so amazing. Well, let's, let's look at our text. Look at verse one. Jesus begins his prayer with these words, the hour has come. Father, the hour has come. Several times throughout John, we read that his hour had not yet come. For example, in 730, uh, uh, John writes, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. But now the hour has come. It is time. The appointed time to go through the pain and the shame and the suffering and the separation from his father over the next few days so that Jesus could accomplish the work of salvation and grant eternal life to his chosen people. So he could make a way for us to join this dance with the Trinity because the way needed to be made 
And this work of providing a way for us to join in brings glory to the Father and to the Son. Look at verses 1 and 5 of our text. The first verse and the last verse. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. In verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This word glorify is used five times in these five verses. And what it means is that Jesus wants his father uh, to reveal the splendor and the majesty of Jesus. And Jesus wants to reveal the splendor and majesty of his father. They each want to display the other well. When Jesus came to earth as a man, when he, when he came as a baby and was born in the manger, he, he veiled his glory. Isaiah tells us he, he looked just like any other man in the Middle East in the first century. There was nothing unusual about him. Nothing, you know, there was no halo over his head or, or shine that came off of his face. He was just a normal man. And now he's asking the Father to return back to him the glory that he had before the world existed. To once again reveal his splendor and majesty. We see a hint of that in the transfiguration where, where Jesus took Peter, James, and John up on a mountain. And, and for a brief time, his, the, the veil was lifted and his glory was revealed. But his glory also comes from accomplishing the work that the Father gave Jesus to do. Look at verse 4. Jesus says to his father, I glorified you, father, on earth, having accomplished or completed or finished the work that you gave me to do. The work that the father gave to Jesus to do and the reason the father sent Jesus to earth for that work was to make a way for us to join in that dance of the Trinity. Because it was not possible prior to the cross and prior to the, the, the empty tomb. That wasn't possible. That would have been unthinkable. You might recall that in the Old Testament, Israel was not even allowed to get close to the mountain where God was present. They would have been instantly vaporized, killed, because the holiness of God could not come into proximity with the sinfulness of man. And so there needed to be a distance there. And the only way for humanity had to have any kind of relationship with God in that time was to, was to sacrifice animals year after year after year and keep sacrificing animals to appease uh, the sin. So for them, the thought of being invited into the relationship of the Trinity would have been unthinkable. It would have been terrifying. It could only mean instant death. But that's why Jesus came to earth as a human being. His work that the Father gave him to do was to be the once for all sacrifice that made a way for us, his chosen people, anyone who would believe and place their faith in Jesus to make a way for us to join in that dance and have this personal, up-close, intimate relationship with the triune God. Abiding in him, John 15 remaining in him, being in union with God himself. And so we see that, that he is glorified when he makes a way for us to join in relationship with him. Let me say that again. God is glorified when he makes the way, a way for us to join in relationship with him. 
Is that some indicator of how much he wants to, how much he loves us and wants to be in relationship with us? He went through all of that suffering and separation and cross work so that he could make a way for us. John Piper has this saying that he, that he, when he talks about this kind of thing, he said, God gets the glory, but we get the benefit. God is glorified when he does this work on our behalf, but we get the benefit. And Jesus' glory is also revealed by having the authority to grant eternal life to all those people that the Father has given him. Look at verse one again, one and two. The Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Again, by virtue of the fact that Jesus gives us eternal life, he receives glory and honor and splendor and worship. But what's eternal life? What's eternal life? We throw that term around a lot. It's a biblical term. It's in the text. It seems to be something that that humanity longs for. Most major world religions have their version of eternal life, whatever they might call it or however it might be attained. Uh, For example, the Hindus believe in reincarnation, which is a form of eternal life. Forms of, of eternal life, forms of extending life, if you will, have long been a pursuit of humanity. Supposedly, Ponce de Leon was searching for the fountain of youth when he made landfall in Florida. First European to do so. That's probably a myth. But somebody thought it was important enough to start the myth. That there was a fountain of youth somewhere. And if we drink from it, we'll never die. I googled anti-aging products this week. Since I'm so old. Um, And there are all kinds of things out there. I'm sure some of you who are even older than I am have looked up those things. And really all they do is possibly reduce the signs of aging. They don't reduce aging. I looked up the, the science of cryonics. You know what that is? I didn't either. Uh, oh, some of you did know. Okay, well, you're smarter than I am. Um, the science of cryonics, where they freeze your body so it can come back to life later. Doesn't that sound fun? Just, you know, freeze my body in 100 years, bring me back to life. <sighs> Well, there's been no success story since they started trying this in the 1960s, so don't get your hopes up. But people aren't giving up. This is not, this is not financial advice, but if you're looking for a place to invest your money, one of the biggest investment opportunities over the next decade will be in companies working to delay human death, a market expected to be worth at least $600 billion by 2025. So we're going to keep trying. But I read this in in another uh, publication. This is a quote. According to this one expert, whoever it is, eternal life would actually be terrible. It would entail an ever-expanding vortex of emptiness, a gaping, bottomless pit of meaninglessness. It would spell the end of caring, the end of hoping, the end of appreciating, of celebrating, of exerting, of accomplishing, of committing, and of loving. It would mean despair beyond despair, indeed a fate worse than death. Aren't you encouraged by those words? 
Now, that's a very distorted view of eternal life, not even close to what Jesus is talking about and what he's teaching here. Yes, apart from a relationship with Jesus, I suppose that's what eternal life might feel like and look like. But in him, in Jesus, in the eternal life that he gives, we will continue to grow and flourish for all eternity. We can't comprehend that. How many... Raise your hands. How many of you thought, I don't want to go to heaven. It just sounds so boring. I remember Dawn was telling me that she wants to, she, when she was little, she wanted to be a dog so that when she died, it, was, it ended. Because it's like, what are we going to do forever and ever and ever? I mean, how many songs on the harp can you play? And will that cloud hold you up forever? And that is not the eternal life that's waiting for us. It's not the eternal life that we have right now. But what is it? Well, living forever and never dying is part of it, but this text tells us that there is so much more. Now note, first of all, that only Jesus grants us eternal life. There is no fountain of youth, there's no cryonics will never work. The, the eternal life that Jesus grants is not a gaping, bottomless pit of meaninglessness. Jesus has been given the authority to grant eternal life to anyone and everyone that the Father has chosen to receive it. Verse 2. Any other suggested means of attaining eternal life will not work because Jesus is the only way. Back in chapter 14, when, when he began teaching his disciples, he told them in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, no one gets eternal life unless Jesus gives it to them. And now Jesus is going to tell us what eternal life actually is in verse 3. And he says, this is eternal life, that they know you. This is eternal life, that they know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is knowing God, being in relationship with God, being invited into that dance with the Trinity, that beautiful, perfectly harmonious relationship that the three persons of the Trinity share together, that's eternal life. Eternal life is being invited into that perfect dance of the Trinity. Eternal life has already begun for those of us that know Jesus. Eternal life is a here and now, ongoing, active, everyday relationship with Jesus. If you know Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are living in eternal life right now, right here. It just lasts forever. It just keeps going. That's why we don't need to fear death. Because it's just a transition from this part of eternal life to that part of eternal life. It just keeps going. Jesus became fully human. Second person of the Trinity took on human flesh so that he could make a way for us to join in that dance that the Trinity shares. And we are weaving in and out in this harmonious dance of love. We are in the dance. If you have convictions against dancing, I'm sorry, you're in the dance with the Trinity. And so is every other person believer that Jesus has called out. Included in that dance with perfect rhythm and perfect synchronization is every, every person who names the name of Jesus is dancing in that perichoresis together. 
We're united in that blur of love and unity and oneness. We're in union with God and one another. This is what we were created for. This is the purpose of our existence is to join in that relationship with the Trinity. That we might be united in the oneness in the rhythm of dancing together in perfect relationship. And when we do that, God is glorified. He is exalted by that. But we're not there yet, are we? We're not dancing in perfect oneness and unity and synchronization, are we? We're not even close to that oneness that Jesus prays for that all of us as his children would have. We're stepping on each other's feet. We're getting off rhythm. We're going this way when you're supposed to be going that way. We're not experiencing the seamless unified dance with all the other believers in that whirling circle with the Trinity. But the dance has started. We are in it. And no, we won't get it perfectly right until Jesus makes all things right in new creation. Won't that be a glorious day? Man. But we can learn. We can grow. We can keep taking spiritual dance lessons. By the way, I've got rights to that title for a book, Spiritual Dance Lessons. So, If you know anything about ballroom dancing, and as you probably know, I know very little, in one partner leads and one partner follows. We were made to follow. That's why we're called followers of Jesus. That's why we're led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads and we follow. Jesus left the earth so the Holy Spirit would come and he is with us. He indwells each one of us that know him as, as our Savior. And he leads and we follow. But we have to submit to his leadership. And as we do, we, we learn to dance better. I remember Dawn trying to teach me some dance steps. I was supposed to lead, but I couldn't lead because I didn't know what I was doing. So she needed to lead to show me what I was supposed to be doing. But I resisted her leadership and it was messy. It's not a pretty sight when we resist the Holy Spirit who wants to lead us into truth and into obedience. It gets awkward. It gets clumsy. But the more we submit to the Holy Spirit, the more God is glorified and honored in our obedience and in our submission to his will. We're not there yet. We haven't mastered the dance steps with the triune God, but I pray that we keep learning and we keep growing and we keep dancing better and better as we let the Holy Spirit lead and as we submit to his leadership. Let me read the opening words of this prayer once again. I'm going to read the first five verses and then make some final observations. And I just encourage you to close your eyes. Imagine you're one of the disciples in the upper room and you're, you're, you're sitting by and you're listening as Jesus starts to pray this prayer. And over the next three weeks, we'll unpack all of this prayer, but, but just imagine Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ you, you, whom you have sent. 
I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. And we'll pick up that prayer and keep going next week. I want to challenge us this morning to meditate on the reality that the sovereign triune God wants a love relationship with us. He wants us to dance with him in, in that union and love with the Trinity. We are invited into the most perfect, intimate love relationship that could possibly exist, that ever has existed, that ever will exist, that of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He loves us that much. He wants us to, he wants us to join him. And I think if we meditate on that, as we think about that, if we even come close to begin to understanding it, a lot of the other stuff in life will just sort of fade away, not be quite so important. And since we are invited in, we can then display Jesus well to the world around us. That's part of our mission too, is, is not just we enter the dance, but we invite others to enter the dance. Just as Jesus displayed the Father well, and, and as the Father displayed Jesus well, so we are to display him well to the world out there. Verse 6, the, the next verse in this prayer that we'll look at next week says, I have manifested or I have displayed your name as Jesus continues to pray. Never forget that our mission as followers of Jesus is to invite others into that same kind of relationship, that same dance. And I pray that we, we dance in such a way that it makes others want to join in. And if we're living our life, if we're, if we're speaking ugliness, nobody's going to want to join in that dance. Eternal life is not simply about spending eternity in heaven. It's about living right here, right now, and displaying Jesus well. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have invited us in and you have made a way for us to join you. This is something that Israel couldn't do. This is something that prior to the cross couldn't be done. But Lord, you have, you have made a way. And it's, it's a little mind-boggling that you love us that much that you want to share what you have with each other, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with us. And I pray that we would dance well. I pray that we would learn well. So that you are glorified and we get amazing blessing. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.